Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 11. I appreciate uh, the many of you who have prayed as uh, I've headed off to camp for the summer. I'm leaving again on Saturday for Kansas for a week of camp. Uh, actually, I'll be gone two Sundays. I'll speak at the assembly down there next Sunday and then a hive off of that assembly the following Sunday. Come back for a few days and head up to Minnesota for another week of camp. So I would value your prayers for that. First Kings chapter 11. We're going to pick it up in verse um, 29. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29. It came about at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clothed himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new cloak which was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. He said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give you ten tribes, but he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemoth, the god of Moab, Milcon, the god of the sons of Ammon, they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and observing my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but will make him ruler all the days of his life, for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, who observed my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom from his son's hand, and give it to you, even ten tribes. But to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. Verse 37. I will take you, and you shall reign over whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be, if you listen to all that I command you, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight by observing my statute and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and will build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. Thus I will inflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. Solomon sought therefore to put Jeroboam to death, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and he was in Egypt till the death of Solomon. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this Old Testament character that you would be pleased uh, to speak to our hearts. We know you've wonderfully preserve your word so that we can learn lessons from it. And so we pray that, that you would speak to each heart here as there's need, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament was not written to us like the New Testament epistles, but the New Testament makes it clear that they were written for us. And so we come uh, to the New Testament in Romans 15:4, we read, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. It's okay. That's all right.
does is showing us how God works in the lives of the people in the Old Testament. So last week when Percy was speaking, he was speaking about Elijah. And you come to James and James says, look, look at what God did through Elijah. It wasn't because Elijah was super special. He was just like you and me. It was because it was God working through Elijah. And so the story of Elijah is meant to encourage us. James, um, in James chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, he says, Consider the example of Job and the outcome of God's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we read, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Earlier in that passage, Paul says we shouldn't crave evil things like they did and were punished, nor try the Lord as they did with dire consequences. And so the first Sunday, uh, Randy talked about Balaam. And again, Balaam uh, is an example to us. Here's a man that God was working, in his, working through him, but he lived contrary to the word of God and suffered the consequences. Now, when we come to Jeroboam, he's not listed in the New Testament. Um, and although he reigned for only 22 years, he's mentioned 84 times in the Word of God. And there's a reason for that. I want to just touch on a little bit of background uh, to help us understand what's going on here. Uh, Ephraim and Judah were two of the main tribes in, in the land of Israel, and they had a long-standing history of antagonism towards each other. In the division of the land in Joshua 18.5, Judah was to anchor the south, and the tribes of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh were to, to anchor the tribes in the north. And Ephraim was the dominant of the two tribes of Joseph, and, and very jealous of its position. So in the book of Judges, uh, you find when Gideon uh, wins the great victory in Judges 8. Uh, Ephraim comes and says, why didn't you call us? And, and they're very ang angry and they, they threaten Gideon's life. And Gideon gives a very soft answer saying, well, you've done so much more than, than we did. And they're pacified. Later, uh, in uh, Judges 12, Jephthah wins a great victory. And again, Ephraim comes and says, hey, you should have called us. You should have had us involved. Well, Jephthah wasn't as kind as Gideon. There was a civil war, and 42,000 of the Ephraimites died. But you can sense this, this sense of, of wanting uh, the place of priority. And, you know, they were the son of Joseph. They were the second son, but, but uh, Jacob had crossed his hands, giving the, the blessing of the firstborn to Ephraim because he said they're going to be a dominant tribe. Joshua came from, from Ephraim, so they had a lot of um, uh, right to being preeminent. But God had chosen Judah uh, to be the preeminent tribe. A second thing that was true was the uh, consequences of the Gibeonite Treaty. Um, if you remember the story... Uh, when they came into the land, they were not to make any treaties with the, the people of the land. But uh, some of the tribes, the Gibeonites, uh, came, said they were from far away, wore worn-out clothes, uh, had moldy bread, and they didn't ask of the Lord. And so they made a treaty with them. 
And those people were right here. This is where those cities were, right along the, the border of Benjamin and Ephraim. And they, they formed a, a natural wedge between the northern tribes and the southern tribes. See, there's, there's consequences for sin. They may not show up for quite a while, but there are consequences for sin. And so um, there was this sense of, of the two uh, divisions of, of the land. Uh, you might say in, in the prophecy we read from uh, Abijah, he said, David, we get two tribes, one for David and one for the city of Jerusalem. And we all know that those tribes are, are Judah and Benjamin. And you might say, well, uh, oh. but Simeon was down here in Judah, so didn't they get three tribes? Well, the truth is no, because um, Simeon migrated north. Um, during, apparently during the period of the judges. In 2 Chronicles 15.9, in the time of Asa, it says he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who resided with them, for many had defected to him from Israel when they saw the Lord was with him. Ephraim had moved north. Uh, the land in southern Judah was desert land, and I suspect Judah was as hard to get along with as Ephraim was. In the time of Josiah, in 2 Chronicles 34, 6, uh, it says, In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as Naphtali in their surrounding ruins. Josiah is going to go up. Uh, most of the northern tribes have been carried off by the Assyrians, but he's going to go up and destroy the idols in those lands. And, and Simeon is almost a recognized tribe up in the northern kingdom. So so God did give uh, uh, Judah two, two tribes. So let's take a look at uh, this man, um, Jeroboam. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26. Then Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerath, Solomon's servant, whose name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. In, in 1 Kings 11, you're having a series because of Solomon's sin. Solomon built the temple for the Lord. He also built temples for all the gods of his wives. And he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. And so the hills south of Jerusalem were just filled with these temples that Solomon had built for the gods of his wives. And they drew his heart away. And so God is raising up a number of adversaries. You'll see in chapter 11, verse 14, then the Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. In verse 23, God also raised up another adversary to him, Rezan the son of Eliada. Um, and so he's raising up these, these uh, adversaries to Solomon because of Solomon's sin and his refusal to repent and uh, be obedient to God. And so one of these adversaries is Jeroboam. And notice what it says about Jeroboam, verse 27. Now this is the reason why he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of his father David. Now the man Jeremiah was a valiant warrior, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. 
And so this young man, Jeroboam, comes down. He's part of the work crew from Ephraim, working there in forced labor in Judah. And he gets noticed. They see that he's uh, hardworking, literally a doer of the work. He's ambitious. He's highly competent. He's a valiant warrior. Uh, Not only is he competent in in what he does, his administrative skills, his his work ethic, but he's also a very uh, valiant warrior. And so they put him in charge of the Ephraimite work crew that work in Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 28, Solomon saw the young man's industrious. He pointed him over the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So he's over his own countrymen who are being forced to work in Jerusalem uh, for Judah. I wonder if he felt a little bit like Moses, seeing his countrymen being somewhat mistreated and and having a, a, a heart for him. In verse 26, it says he rebelled against Solomon, uh, literally lifted up his hand against him. Uh, Some commentators believe that he led a rebellion, perhaps to get better working conditions or something else, uh, or perhaps even a coup attempt. Uh, But the result is that uh, Solomon wants to execute him. And so he he flees to Israel, or I'm sorry, Egypt, and, and a lot of the foreign countries often were very favorable to people who were out of fellowship with the reigning kings around them. Uh, and so they would harbor these people in case they should go back and win. They would have a favorable position with them. We come over to chapter 12 and verse 15. Uh, you know the story, Solomon dies His son Rehoboam is made king. The northern tribes uh, talk about this forced labor, how hard Solomon has made it for him. And uh, Rehoboam says, well, I'll I'll give you an answer. Give me three days. And he comes back and um, he answers the people harshly. He says, listen, my dad made it hard on you but I'm going to make it hard on you, capital letters, H-A-R-D. And, of course, the people rebel. Verse 15, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord, that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah the Silamite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So uh, God is judging Solomon. And we, we read how God said, I'm going to give this kingdom to you instead of to, um, so I'm going to take it away as a judgment on, on Solomon. And so, verse 16, when all Israel saw the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. We're not part of Judah. Uh, and so, uh, down in verse um, 20, it came about when all Israel heard Jeroboam had returned that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah and Benjamin uh, followed the house of David. And so uh, Jeroboam, as God had prophesied through Ahijah, is made king of these northern ten tribes. And um, 
It's an indication of, of Jeroboam's personal prestige. He was a valiant warrior, a capable leader. His leadership role, perhaps, in the failed rebellion. Uh, probably a widespread knowledge of Ahijah's prophecy concerning him. Rehoboam decides to go home, gather his army, and attack uh, the northern ten tribes, but God sends a prophet and tells him he's not going to be allowed to do that. And this brings us to um, Jeroboam's mistakes. These are the lessons God wants us to learn. Um, he's going to make three serious mistakes in his life. And, um, and the first is he did not believe God's promises and he did not heed God's warnings. Um, so let's, let's look at verse uh, 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. Um, and so Jeroboam, he's shrewd. He's really very, very bright. He builds his new capital city of Shechem. It's up on the very farthest part of the tribe of Ephraim, it's, it's right next to Manasseh. It's right in the heart of those who are going to be his loyal followers. And, uh, and Shechem has a, uh, a history with Israel because it's in the valley right between Mount Ebal and Gerizim. And when they first came into the land, in front of Ebal and Gerizim, they read the blessings and cursings of God on the tribes of Israel. So this is a spot that just reeks of history of Israel. And he puts his capital right there. He's anchoring his capital in this history of Israel. And then he builds a second capital on the other side of Jordan, but he builds it at Peniel, uh, which was where uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel and was named Israel. And, and it has a special place in the history of Israel. Plus, it, it unites those tribes on the other side of, of the Jordan with his kingdom. He, he's showing as much interest in them as he is with his own people. And these are shrewd moves. This guy is really very, very brilliant. But he has a fatal flaw. And that's found in verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Fear is the great enemy of faith. I spoke at a camp uh, in Kansas, and, and the guy who was speaking to the staff was going through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and he was talking about faith, but he was talking about how every one of those persons could have responded in fear instead and lost it. And Jeroboam has the promises of God, the same words, you can compare them, that were said to David about David's kingdom are said to Jeroboam. He has the promises of God for a lasting kingdom, but in his fear, because all the big uh, feasts, three times a year, the, the Jews were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the three major feasts, and he says, you know, eventually Rehoboam's going to wake up and smell the coffee, 
And he's going to realize, I need to entice these people. I need to highlight my strength. And, and I need to, to win their hearts. And he said, you know what? He'll do it. And then those people will kill me. And they'll come back to Jeroboam. And so he comes up with an answer. And his answer is a counterfeit religion. And instead of obeying God's promises, he, um, and believing in God's promises, he built a counterfeit religion. And so notice what, what he says. His fear is that they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And so he says... So the king, verse 28, consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So he says, instead of two cherubim there over the Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to give you two golden calves. Now, if, if they remembered their history, but of course they don't have the Bible in their own hands, uh, they remember their history. God has a real uh, harsh feeling towards golden calves, uh, as Aaron discovered. But he, he has these two golden calves made. And, and we're told in Scripture that when uh, Israel came out of the land of Egypt, they brought a lot of their idols with them. And so idolatry has a, a long place in, in the place of, of Israel. But he, he takes these two two golden calves, and he places them in two key spots. The first is Bethel. Bethel is where Jacob had his dream of, of angels descending on a ladder from God. Bethel means the house of God. When, when Jacob came back from visiting Laban with all of his family, at Bethel he offered a sacrifice to God. Bethel has a big history of of worship to God. And so he builds a temple there. And then up in Dan, during the judges period, the tribe of Dan moved north. And as they were going north, they met a, a young Levite who was uh, working for a man as, as a priest. And the man had made some idols. And this Levite was serving as his household priest. That young man's name was Jonathan the son of Jeroboam uh, of um, let's see uh, anyway uh, he was Jonathan the son of and starts with a G I'm sorry and and then the son of Manassas but some of the older um, copies. Of, of the Old Testament have the word Moses. And a lot of commentators believe this was the grandson of Moses. And they changed it to Manasseh to protect Moses' reputation. Well, you can imagine, here's been this idolatrous site, Gershom, Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, uh, up in Dan that for years has been a religious site, and they kind of have their roots all the way back to Moses. And so he takes these two sites that have real place in the history of Israel, and he sets up two temples. And he says, listen, you don't want to go all the way down to Jerusalem. I've made this very comfortable for you. 
one in the north, one right down here in the south. And then he, um, he goes another step farther. Uh, verse 30, now this became a sin for the people to worship before the one as far as Dan, and he made houses on the high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. And then he, he opens the priesthood to anybody. Originally, your firstborn son of all the children of Israel were priests, but when they, when they had the sin of the golden calf, God put that aside and he chose the tribe of Levi. But now, your son can be a priest. All he's got to do is pay a bull and seven rams, and, and he can be a priest to God at, at these new temples. And he's doing all these things. He's tying it back into the history of Israel. He's saying, I'm not inventing something new. These are places that we know. And, and this is what God's original intention was for you to be priests. And then, verse 32, Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. And so the seventh month was the month, the main, the, the number one feast in Israel. It was uh, the Feast of, Tabern, of Trumpets on the 15th day, which was also the day of atonement, or the first day of the month. On the 15th of the month was the day of atonement, followed for a week by the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jeroboam simply shifted it a month later. And you know, it would be difficult for a family who's running a farm to go to both. And so he draws the heart of Israel. And he's called the one who made Israel to sin. 21 times that'll be said of Jeroboam. His false religion became a snare that haunted Israel all of its history. You know, we can learn a lesson from that, that Satan and the world always seek to introduce counterfeits to ensnare the world and even believers. The place of safety is always in obedience to God's word, trusting his promises. And so Jeroboam sets up this this false religion, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to capture the hearts of all of Israel for their whole history. But God is going to warn him. And uh, so God sends a prophet. Look at uh, 1 Kings 13. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. It comes the first day. They're opening this big temple. I mean, you can see all the priests in their marvelous robes. No doubt there's amazing music. He's built this incredible temple. It, it's, this is the opening day, the grand opening of this temple in Bethel. And the king himself is there to kick it off by, by burning some incense. And this prophet from Judah shows up. We don't even have his name. Verse 2, he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones will be burned on you. Um, when human bones were burned on sacrifice, it defiled 
the altar. Everybody in the audience would know that. And he says, listen, God's going to raise up someone and all the bones of the priests, the former priests, are, are going to be burned on this altar. Well, Jeroboam's not happy. This is, this is a, a statement of, of judgment on Jeroboam's false religion. It, it's a statement of, of the fact that the altar was defiled in God's sight. Hum. Then he gave a sign the same day saying, this will be the sign that the Lord has spoken. So you know I'm not just telling you something way in the future because it's 250 years before Josiah shows up. Uh, but that you know this is true. Behold, the altar will be split apart and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, was dried up so he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was split apart and the ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So what a dramatic deal. I mean, the altar splits, the ashes go out, the king's arm, he can't pull back because it's frozen. God has given a statement, this altar is defiled, this religion is defiled, and the king that did it is impotent. He can't even draw his own arm back from the command of God. A judgment on this temple, a judgment on this king. And then you see the great grace of God. The king said to the man of God, please entreat sadly the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. The gracious act of God. In judgment, he remembers mercy. In judgment, he provides a gracious way to return Jeroboam can repent, turn from his sin, and, and God shows that God will receive him. God will, will help him. But instead, the king says, verse 7, the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I'll give you a reward. But the Man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way which he came to Bethel. And, and the prophet said, no, this land is under God's judgment, God's curse. I'm not even going to eat in this land. That's what God has said to me. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story about this prophet, but a former prophet of God who lives in Bethel, his sons came home and, well, how did the celebration go? Oh man, dad, you should have been there. This guy, he, he cursed the altar, it broke, the king's hand was frozen and God graciously restored it. And well, where'd he go? Well, he went home because God said, he told him he wasn't to eat or drink here. And so he gets on his donkey, his sons saw the way he'd go. The man made a mistake, he stopped to rest. Sometimes that's where we get in trouble. Are when we're not done with what God's given us to do. And so he stops the rest, and this old prophet catches up with him and says to him, listen, God told me it's okay for you to come back and eat at my house. And so they go back. Maybe this guy had even heard of this guy's, this old prophet's name. Who knows? 
And as they're sitting and eating, suddenly the word of the Lord comes to this old prophet, and he says, you disobeyed God. You're never going to be buried in your family tomb. And so this young man gets up, gets on his donkey, heads out. A lion meets him, kills him, doesn't harm the donkey. Word comes back, there's a lion out there with his donkey and this young man dead. And the old prophet knows who it is. He goes and gets him, brings him back, and uh, buries him in his own tomb. Tells his son, put him in my own tomb. Because later when Josiah comes and, and he destroys this temple site and he burns all the bones on the altar and they're opening all the tombs to burn bones on the altar, they come to this old prophet's tomb and someone says, hey, you know, in there is also the bones of a prophet who said you were going to come up and do this 250 years ago. And Josiah says, leave that tomb alone. God does finally honor his prophet. But why? Why did he do that? Well, look at verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way. But again, he made priests of the high priests, high places among the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. This event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from the face of the earth. God's judgment on his prophet. See, if God didn't judge his prophet for disobedience, then what's that say about his message? But God's judgment on his prophet should have told Jeroboam, even a prophet that disobeys me gets judged. How much more you? And, and Jeroboam should have seen in the judgment on this prophet the judgment on himself. Well, there's one last one that we have uh, event in the life of, of Abijah, chapter 14, uh, or Jeroboam. At the time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise now and disguise yourself so that they will not know who, that you are the wife of Jeroboam. Go to Shiloh. Behold, Abijah the prophet is there who spoke concerning me. I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will happen to the boy. Well, why does he want his wife uh, to disguise herself? Well, it's, it's because, I'm sorry, I should have put this up first. Um, he knew his religion was fake. He knew his religion was fake. He didn't go to his priest because he knew it was a sham. But he can't disavow it. So he sends his wife disguised to Ahijah so nobody knows that he's seeking the, the real God's help. And God tells Ahijah, who's gone blind, listen, this woman's going to show up. She's going to pretend to be somebody else. It's, it's Jeroboam's wife. Tell him that his son's going to die. And I'm going to judge him. Uh, and so he says, uh, verse uh, 12, Now you arise, go to your house. He, he's speaking to uh, Jeroboam's wife. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. All Israel will mourn and bury him. For he alone of Jeroboam's family will come to the grave. Because in him something good was found towards the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. 
what potential the house of Jeroboam had. Here was a young man, and God says, he pleased me. But because of Jeroboam's sin and the, and the judgment of God on the house of Jeroboam, God honors him. This young man has a funeral. People honor him. He's buried. The rest of Jeroboam's family is not going to turn out that well. So what do we come away with this? Satan is very good at counterfeits. And we need to be aware of that. They are so clever. You know, uh, Jeroboam sent his, his wife to hijack because he knew his religion was fake. And you know what? There are people in our community who know their religion is a fake because they don't go anymore. But they can't let go of it. Because he's so good at counterfeits. Real safety is only ever found in obedience to God. And we need to know the word of God. That's why we say, get in the word of God. That's why we open the word of God. That's why we look at some of these Old Testament examples. This is your place of safety. Privilege brings greater responsibility. That was true of Jeroboam. God gave him a wonderful promise. God gave him a wonderful future. And he didn't listen to the promise of God. He didn't trust the promise of God. He gave in to his fear and, and became such a snare to the nation of Israel. And so he, there was greater judgment on him as there was on the prophet who came up to deliver the message. Um, disobedience has terrible consequences. I want you to turn over to 2 Kings chapter 17. And here's one of the consequences. 2 Kings chapter 17 verses 21 to 23. And when he, God, had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel away from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. The sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them. Baal worship came, and God, using Jehu and others, drove Baal worship out. But Jeroboam's religion so ingratiated itself into the, the nation and the life of Israel, they were never able to get free from it until the Lord removed Israel from his sight as he spoke through all his servants and prophets. So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. There is long-term effect of sin. Each one of us is leaving a legacy. The two in the Old Testament, and we, we saw it in Ahijah's statement to Jeroboam, was David did this. David left the standard that every other king of Judah was measured by. How did he measure up to David? Jeroboam was the exact opposite. <laughs> Jeroboam was the one 
that was the negative example, the negative le legacy that took Israel into its uh, exile. And you and I are leaving a legacy. And fear kills faith. And we have to be people who trust God, who trust his word and are obedient to it. And when we fail to do that, there are consequences, terrible consequences. And it's not just us. 250 years later, tens of thousands of people with hooks in their nose were drugged across the desert to exile in Assyria. And God says, you want to know why that happened? Jeroboam chose fear over faith. Let's leave a legacy where people talk about our faith. Let's pray. Father, it, it, it's hard sometimes to talk about an example where, where the example is just so sad, so much potential. He even had a son who's, who God was pleased with, and yet his fear was so destructive for himself, for his family, for the very nation he served. Oh God, help us to know the promises of your word. Help us to believe and trust the promises of your word. Help us to walk in obedience to your word. May we leave a legacy of faith and obedience to you because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.